This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. As promised, this unusual Saturday upload will not be a papal document, but will instead be prominent or be relevant because of the things Francis said earlier in the week. And so today I present to you St. Maximilian Kolbe on Mary as co-redemptrix. Still, just as Jesus became the God-man in order to reveal his immense love for us, so also the third divine person, God-love, willed to show his mediation with the Father and the Son in some external image. That this image is the Immaculate Heart of the Virgin is clear from the words of the saints, especially those who hold Mary is the spouse of the Holy Spirit. Once blessed, now Saint Louis Grignon de Montfort draws the conclusion according to the mind of the fathers, quote, The Holy Spirit lacks fruitfulness in God, that is, no divine person proceeds from him. But he becomes fruitful through Mary, whom he has taken to himself as spouse. With her and in her and through her, he produces his most illustrious work, the incarnation of the word. End quote. Even after the death of Christ, the Holy Spirit accomplishes everything in us through Mary. For the words of the Creator pronounced to the serpent concerning the Immaculata, She shall crush your head. See Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 are, according to the teaching of the theologians, to be understood without limitation in regard to time. We hear from many people today that the prefix co signifies on the equal level, as in co-manager. However, it is not in the same case with our Blessed Mother and our Savior, because although they work together for our redemption, the dignity and person of the one is different from the other. Mary was a mere creature, and so lower in her dignity than her son Jesus, who is God. She is a human person, while our Redeemer is a divine person. Hence, we are speaking of the same work, but with different value, due to the difference of dignity and person. Actually, the prefix co does not mean equal, but comes from the Latin word cum, which means with. The title of co-redemptrix applied to Mary never places her on a level of equality with Jesus Christ, the divine Lord of all, in the saving process of humanity's redemption. Rather, it denotes Mary's regular and unique sharing, although subordinate and dependent, with her son in the saving work of redemption for the human family. The mother of Jesus participates in the redemptive work of her son, who alone could reconcile humanity with the Father in his glorious divinity and humanity. Because of her intimate and unparalleled sharing in the mysterious work with the divine Redeemer, both at the Incarnation, see Luke chapter 1, verse 28, and at the work of the redemption at Calvary, see John chapter 19, verse 26, Mary has merited the church title co-redemptrix, which literally means with the Redeemer. As a sort of bonus essay, I have a, an article I found referenced numerous places on the subject of co-redemptrix, on the co-redemptrix role of Our Lady, by the late Emile Newbert, a Catholic priest who was a Marianist. This is his famous essay, Mary and the Apostolate. Whenever there is question of a work that offers special difficulties and requires a peculiar power of adaptation to various and delicate conditions, 
The right spirit is of paramount importance, of an importance similar to that of the soul in the human being. Its importance is especially great if there is a question of a supernatural work. All the natural knowledge, experience, and skills of the world will not be able to convert a soul if that supernatural spirit is lacking. And yet, because of the many obstacles that are encountered in a difficult apostolic undertaking, almost our whole attention may be directed towards the natural means to overcome the obstacles, while the supernatural side of the problem is neglected. Now, my purpose is precisely to show you how, under the guidance of Our Lady, you will always be animated with the right supernatural spirit in the apostolate, and with what efficacy our apostolic endeavors will be crowned. I shall first explain the apostolic mission of Mary in the world, that is, Mary's role in the apostolate in general, next her special role in the apostolate of today, and finally, some practical conclusions for our apostolic work. The Role of Mary in the Apostolate in General In order to understand Mary's role in the apostolate, it will be useful to recall briefly some notions of Mariology that are well known to you, namely, Mary's spiritual motherhood, her cooperation in the work of redemption, and her function as a distributix of all graces. You know that Mary is our mother in the supernatural order, and a true mother, not only because Jesus, dying, called her so, this would have created only an adopted motherhood, but because she is the woman who really gave us our supernatural life. She has conceived us, so to say, at the Annunciation. When conceiving Jesus, as Pope Pius X explains, for we are members of his mystical body, and the head and the members form but one single whole. She brought us forth on Calvary, for it was there that Christ merited for us definitely to live by his life, and Mary cooperated in the mystery of the redemption of the, of the Incarnation. Therefore, before expiring on the cross, our Lord wished to give us a sign of that spiritual maternity by confiding Mary to the beloved disciple, St. John. Jesus did not constitute her, her our mother under the cross. Rather, he publicly declared her to be our mother, who had been so from the time of her consent to the Incarnation at Nazareth. Behold, she is your mother, he meant. As individual members of the body of Christ, our birth into the supernatural life occurs at our baptism. Supernaturally, we are all born dead. It is necessary that the life merited for us by the death of Christ be infused into each one in the particular. Now it is the Blessed Mother who obtains this, as every other grace, for us. Without this grace which she obtains for us, we should remain forever dead. No one, therefore, is reborn into the divine life unless Mary has given him supernatural birth. Her maternal care does not, however, stop here. Thus she continues in heaven to be our loving mother, the providing mother of each one of us in particular, after having at Nazareth and on Calvary become our mother of all mankind. You know also why Mary is called the co-redemptrix. Her cooperation in our redemption consists, one, in her deliberate consent to the divine proposal at the moment of the Annunciation. As soon as she pronounced her fiat, she was already collaborating in the work of our redemption. She consented to furnish the victim whose immolation would save us. Mary became the mother of God to become the mother of the Redeemer. 2. In the identification of her dispositions throughout life with the interior dispositions of the Redeemer, that uninterrupted community of life and labors of the son and the mother, her thought, sentiment, and will were always identified with those of Jesus who desired but one thing the accomplishment of the work for which his Father sent him into the world, that is, our redemption. 3. In that companionship of sorrow and suffering with her divine Son at the moment of his passion and death, the passion and death of the Savior was the price of our redemption. She shared so entirely in his passion that if it had been possible, she would gladly have borne all the torments her Son bore. 
Finally, Mary is the distributix of all graces. A doctrine well known to all Catholics at present, this privilege is a direct consequence of the previous one. Since on earth, through her co-redemption, she helped Christ to acquire all graces for us, so now in heaven she helps him to distribute them to all men. Thus far I do not claim to have told you anything you did not know, but of the doctrine expounded thus far, there follows a consequence which is less well known and of is of the highest importance for our purpose, that Mary has been entrusted by God with an apostolic mission in the church. Not any kind of apostolic mission, but a mission universal as regards time and space, a mission that extends to the whole church and lasts from the death of Christ to the end of the world. An apostolic mission which not only is far superior to that of any other apostle, but is, with that of Christ, the very source of every other apostolate, so that the, ap the apostolate of all other apostles is but a participation in the apostolate of Mary. And this results directly from the three social functions of the Blessed Virgin we mentioned above. 1. Mary cooperated with Jesus in the redemption of mankind. Yet redemption, although merited in principle on Calvary for all men, is not actually accomplished until it is applied to every individual soul. Now, in the words of St. Paul, the vocation and the gifts of God are without repentance. The cooperation which Mary gave her son at Nazareth and on Calvary, she must give until the end of time. Having given Jesus to the entire world in general on the day of the Incarnation, she must give him to every creature in particular throughout the ages. Being cooperatrix with Jesus in the work of the redemption, she should remain his cooperatrix in the application of the redemption for to each soul. For the redemption has not yet been fully realized. The grace of salvation merited for all on Calvary must still be applied to each man as he comes into this world. Such is the mission until the end of time. With Jesus, she worked at the redemption of all men. With Jesus, she must work at their conversion and sanctification. 2. Mary is the mother of all men. As such, she must be able to employ every means to bring back her unfortunate wandering children to the road of salvation, and thus hinder them from ignoring, and what is far worse, cursing forever their heavenly father and mother. Can we imagine that God made her mother of men and did not give her in the highest degree the greatest of all desires in the heart of a Christian mother? to see her children eternally happy with her? Or, having given her that desire, would he refuse her the means of realizing it? All the reasons given to prove the eagerness of Mary to receive sinners prove likewise her apostolic mission. Does a mother rest content with welcoming only those of her children who are faithful or repentant? Is she not as anxious even more so about those who do not wish to return? Can she rest until she has won them back to God's love and hers? To say that God confided in Mary a universal apostolic mission is simply to affirm that he made her a worthy mother of the Savior and of mankind. These two titles of Mary, that of co-redemptrix and that of mother of mankind, prove that God ought to confide to her a universal apostolic mission. Her title of distributix of all graces proves that he did confide such a mission to her. What is meant, in fact, by being an apostle, it means to devote oneself to saving souls from Satan, it means bringing them to Jesus in order to be transformed unto him here on earth and be made eternally happy with him in heaven. But we get no grace except through Mary. Consequently, all the activity of an apostle, whoever he be, his very vocation to the apostle, comes from her. Mary does no merely step at a certain time during his apostolate when he is unable to cope with rebellious souls. She it is who inspired him with the idea of his ministry and who is the cause of all his success. If she ceases to act, even for a moment, he ceases to be an apostle. She is the apostle. He is but her instrument, much in the same way that priests are the instrument of, of the one priest, Jesus Christ. 
Whether he realizes it or not, he is but doing the work confided by God to Mary. He merely helps her in distributing all graces. He carries on in the little sphere of his activity and under the influence of Mary, the mission confided to her by God for all time and every place. He is the soldier who, even without thinking about it, combats in obedience to the orders he receives from the commander-in-chief of God's armies. We might corroborate these conclusions by the teachings of Holy Scripture, even the assertion of the first prophecy in the Old Testament. I shall put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. She shall crush thy head. But especially by a number of facts contained in the New Testament, by the teachings of the fathers and of the popes, in particular those of Leo XIII, Pius X, and Pius XI, by the history of the Church which very verifies the words of the sacred liturgy. Rejoice, O Virgin Mary, for alone thou hast destroyed all heresies, and shows that the great apostles were always great servants of Mary. Mary's role in the ap ap apostolate of today. Several great servants of God and of his mother have foretold that Mary's action in the apostolate of the church, though real from the beginning, would manifest itself in a quite special and forceful way in the times that were to come. You doubtless know the prophecies of St. Louis Grignon de Montfort concerning the apostles of the latter times. He announced that there would rise up in the church great saints who would surpass the former saints as the cedars of Lebanon surpass little shrubs who would be totally consecrated to the Blessed Virgin and would carry on an unceasing warfare against Satan and his helpers. Other holy man men made similar predictions, without knowing those of St. Grignion. To speak of but one whose doctrine is best known to me, Father Charmenade, who, whose process of canonization has been started in Rome. During the French Revolution, he lived for some time in exile at Saragossa, Spain, and received from the miraculous Lady of the Pillars special revelations concerning her action in the apostolate of modern times and of cooperation she expected from him towards it. As a consequence, Father Chaminade founded two religious societies, one of men and the other of women, the Society of Mary and the Daughters of Mary, who were totally consecrated to her and even took a special vow of devotedness to and perseverance in her service. Here is how he expressed himself on this doctrine of a circular, in a circular letter. After having explained Mary's apostolic struggles and triumphs in all centuries, and having portrayed the prevailing heresy of the present day, religious indifference, he proceeds, quote, This description of our times, unfortunately, so exact is however far from discouraging us. Mary's power is not diminished. We firmly believe that she will overcome all others because she is today, as she was formerly, the incomparable woman, the promised woman who was to crush the serpent's head, and Jesus Christ, in never addressing her except by this sublime name, teaches us that she is the hope, the joy and the life of the church, and the terror of hell. To her, therefore, is reserved a great victory in our day. Hers will be the glory of saving the faith from the shipwreck with which is threatened among us. Now we have understood this design of providence, and have hastened to offer Mary our feeble services in order to labor under her orders and combat at her side. We have enlisted it under her banner as her soldiers and her ministers, and we have bound ourselves by a special vow, that of stability, to assist her with all our strength until the end of our life, in her noble struggle against the powers of hell. And as an order justly celebrated has taken the name and standard of Jesus Christ, so we have taken the name and standard of Mary, and are ready to hasten when it, wherever she calls us in order to spread her cult, and through it the kingdom of God and souls. This is certainly the distinguishing character and family trait of both our societies. We are in a special manner the auxiliaries and the instruments of the Blessed Virgin in the great work of reforming morals, of preserving and propagating the faith, and by the fact of sanctifying our neighbor, 
She communicates to us her own zeal and entrusts to us the projects which are inspired by her almost infinite charity. And we make a vow to serve her faithfully until the end of our life, to carry out punctually all that she tells us. We are glad that she can thus spend in her service the life and strength that we have placed to her. End quote. Whatever the respect we owe to holy men who have made such predictions, we are not bound to believe their predictions. Yet we see that these have been initiated and are receiving every day an ever greater accomplishment. No epoch ever witnessed a renewal of Marian piety as that which began towards 1830. It produced manifestations of devotion towards the Virgin unknown even during the most enthusiastic periods in the Middle Ages. If, in fact, the centuries of faith have seen, as we have witnessed during the 19th and 20th centuries, grand churches rising in honor of Mary, immense crowds of pilgrims filling the roads leading to her sanctuaries, fervent souls praying in secret, enthusiastic multitudes breaking forth in joyful hymns before the image of Our Lady, have they seen, as we have, so many theologians studying Mary's prerogatives, national and international congresses, meeting to set forth her grandeurs and to seek ways and means for the systematic extension of her cult, have they seen the Pope himself, not obliged by the attacks of heretics, but out of pure devotion, defining or preparing to define the great things that God has done for Mary? Medieval devotion to Mary was preeminently sentimental and simple, consequently exposed to diminish. Our devotion is more doctrinal, and therefore it would seem more solid, durable, and fruitful. Another new aspect of Marian devotion is that a number of apostolic men are realizing more and more clearly the apostolic role of Mary. Father Chaminade was one of the first to preach it openly. Since his time, others have taught this doctrine more or less definitely. The Blessed Virgin has occasionally intervened to spread the idea. The wonderful conversions brought about since 1830 by the Miraculous Medal and the conversions obtained at Our Lady of Victories and all over the world through the arch-confraternity of the Most Holy and Immaculate Heart of Mary are evidence of her intervention. We should also note this unprecedented fact that since the beginning of the 19th century, a vast proportion of founders of religious societies seem anxious to place their work under the direct patronage of Mary, and to insert under one form or another the mention of the Virgin in the name of the societies. And if at the start they had other views, heaven itself has at times forced them to follow this idea, as was the case with the Venerable Lieberman. The past few years have witnessed throughout the world marvelous apostolic works placed directly under the auspices of the Immaculate Virgin. Some Practical Conclusions all of us, whether or not we are called to a particular apostolate, should learn to adopt a Marian attitude towards all people. For if we love the Blessed Virgin, we must imitate her. She loves all, for all are her children. She loves all because she sees in them Jesus, her Son by nature. She makes no distinctions between souls. Our apostolate with souls is but a participation in the apostolate of Mary. These considerations should first of all make us love all those souls especially confided to us family, relatives, work contacts, social contacts, etc. Since they are Mary's children, we should love them with Mary's love, the real eternal love. We must love, too, with unremitting devotedness. The thought of her who suffered unspeakably to help redeem us, and those confided to our care, will spur us on to devote and sacrifice ourselves for them after the example of our mother. What we do for others, we are doing for her. That devotedness is our practical way of showing our love. How could we say that we love Mary, whom we see not, if we do not love her children whom we see? Nor will our attitude towards souls be that of a condescending devotedness, that of a man who knows his superiority, but is willing to be kind to those whom he considers far below him. 
this would not be a Marian attitude. Mary, though the mother of God, went simply to her cousin Elizabeth to greet her and rejoice with her, and also to serve her. And later, she simply said to Jesus at the marriage feast of Cana, They have no wine. In every case, it is Jesus whom we are serving when we serve souls, and we ought to be highly honored to be allowed to serve him in the person of others. Above all, we shall be full of confidence in the success of the apostolate if we remember that we are doing Mary's work. To her is reserved in our days a great victory, and we shall share in that victory if we work under her auspices. She has crushed the head of the serpent and shall ever crush it. If we fight in our name, we may meet with failure upon failure and soon grow discouraged. But if we fight in the name of her who is always victorious, we are sure to conquer. Without Mary, we cannot succeed. With Mary, we cannot fail.